Welcome back. You've made it to Season 3, Episode 4 of Podcast Bozo, where you came just in time to join us in a conversation about aliens and the possibility of their existence here on Earth. Here with me, as always, uh, we have our locally renowned beer server, Sean, and our celebrated artist slash animator, Eli. Yep. My name is JJ, but you can call me Johnny Starluck. As always, it's good to be with y'all. I want to mention first that this podcast is supposed to be a group effort. Effort, excuse me, I'm, I fumble that one every time. We want we want to hear from you, so please visit us at podcastbozo.com or our social accounts using Sean. What is that one again? That's at podcast bozo. Is that right, Jay? That's what I need. P O D O. Wait, no. Dang it! I'm I'm used to being bozo mm-hmm. first. At Podcast Bozo, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-B-O-Z-O. That's at Podcast Bozo, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-B-O-Z-O. You know it. Hit it, <laughs> smash it, crash it, right into that follow button, and join us on a journey. We love you. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, go to, go to that link and... Uh, you can participate with us or go to our website. Like I said, uh, we have community uh, engagement on those things. Uh, what a rough start. Um, I'm not even going to talk about donating to our Bozo Fund beyond that. You can find it on our website. Um, but if you're a listener, you know what to do. And if you don't, well, you're going to have to listen to the first 10 seconds of another episode. That's the mystery of this episode. Um, so, Cheek. Wow. It took us about an hour and a half to get going today. I think that might be our worst startup of all time. I think that's a record. That's why we wear these hats. Keep our, <laughs> keep our focus in. To break the record. Yeah. <laughs> First podcast ever wear tin hats. We've been doing a lot of conspiracy theorizing, Cheek. Have you, do you feel like you've gone wacky? Within the conspiracy that we're going to talk about today or just in general? Well, I, I feel like watching these videos to for, to do the research for this, like I watched easily six hours of video and I feel like after listening to enough of these people talk about it, that it's influenced my behavior a little bit. I mean, I'm not just wearing this hat. Who? So I, I, I wonder what kind of, what, what kind of videos you were watching? Like, were you... Looking for credible sources or were you looking for conspirators such as you and I and myself and Eli <laughs> who are just trying to perpetuate the machine? Um, well, or I should say less. Hmm. Say that Never again. Mind. Say you that know. again. You, you skipped out on that last part. I was saying. I was wondering who, like, what kind of sources, like, what kind of videos were you watching? Like, yeah, are you watching, like, you know, Humble Joe in his trailer park making a video about, you know, you know, the aliens communicating to him? Or were you, or were you looking for more of, you know, a scientific approach and uh, looking for more credible resources? I was all over the place. Um, but I did, I hit the, um, I hit, I tried, I, you told me to go at it from an angle of science. Uh, and there, there, I there was, a, I, want, I wanted you to, there is some issues with that. Um, but there, what, there's a lot of science about like how we've tried to reach out and how possibly we would see aliens and things like that. But inevitably it always leads down this trail of Joe trailer park, Joe sitting on his tractor, telling us about, um, telling us about what he saw. I also got to something. I don't know if you guys came across this, but the, it's like the U S UFO spotting uh, agency and they have a website and they have all these files that are like either credited or discredited and they're like, it's like sorted out. And it's a lot of emails that are sent to them, like of daily sightings and things like that. Uh, so that was pretty wacky. There's very little graph. Is that a government agency? I didn't find that. It's not, a, it's, it's just the official, it's a org, but I don't, it's not a government agency. It's like a, it's a, it's the official place to go if you spot a UFO. That's all I know about it. You know who I bet you know who I bet that's owned by? Who? Bigelow Airspace. Did you learn about Robert Bigelow at all? Never heard the name. 
I don't Deuce Bigelow, younger cousin. Talking about the gigolo guy? The male gigolo? No, not not related not related at all. But I digress. We'll get there eventually. All right. Um I guess let's So if if you haven't caught on by now, uh I wanted to talk about the possibility of aliens on our podcast today. I through, you know, the media and stories I'm just absolutely fascinated by the possibility that aliens exist, but not only exist are currently here and living amongst us. Um, now I think that the latter of that statement is much harder to prove and there isn't really a lot of information or at least credible information worth delving into that will tell us about whether or not there are actually other races of beings living amongst us here on earth in a men in black like scenario, though I would love that to be the case. That would be incredible. Um, I'd love to have a locker full of those little boys, you know, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll get in, we'll get into it, but we don't, we're not going to start with it now. All right. Um, the first thing I, w- I think I want to talk about is uh, Roswell. You guys know the story of Roswell? Yeah, yeah. I I did some. Eli, do you know the story of Roswell? Uh, what story in particular? I I know that Area Fifty One is a thing. It's like one of the original, like one. Of, it's credited for like kicking off all of the sightings of. UFOs. It's like one of the original, like high up there sighting occasions. What's, what's the specific story? Can you give me a synopsis? Yeah. So I guess that's how we'll start here. Um, New Mexico, Roswell, New Mexico, there's an Air Force base. In the year 1947, um, I also want to preface this with this is also where a lot of nuclear testing happened. Um, in the past, where a lot of uh, the military tested their nuclear explosions, which might have some relevance to a theory that I have later on. So I just want to preface it with that. Anywho, so we're at the Air Force Base in Roswell in 1947. The month of July, uh, the Air Force Base starts tracking something on their radar um, that is moving across the desert. As they are tracking this item or whatever it is, It gets struck by lightning and it explodes and crashes um, on a ranch somewhere in Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, Upon the crash, metallic debris is supposedly scattered, you know, hundreds of yards apart on the metallic debris reported by the rancher who the thing crashes. The rancher calls the sheriff. The sheriff calls the Air Force Base of Roswell to come and deal with it. So reported on the metallic debris that has been scattered, there are hieroglyphics. And apparently the original report is that the metallic material is unidentifiable. Um, So after the Air Force Base comes and cleans it all up, they issue a report saying that they have in their possession a flying saucer. It's an it's an article, right? Two hours right? later. Yes, yeah. it's or I it, anywho, after that report, the Air Force rescinds that statement that it is not in fact um a UFO. They take the debris from New Mexico, fly it or they don't take that debris. A group of people fly to Dallas, apparently, take a photo with a crashed weather balloon and a radar operator in the photo and claim that this photo that they are taking is what was reported in New Mexico. Everybody who was a part of that photograph, apparently, has come forward claiming that it was completely falsified and that photograph was not accurate at all to what happened. Um, the debris was taken and stored and now remains in area 51. Um, that's currently to my understanding, the story of Roswell JJ, did you 
Would you agree with that synopsis or? Well, I'm, I, I'm going to deflect this one off to E first. E, do you take a, what, what do you think so far with this one? Cause I'm, I'm very, I, I looked into this one too. I already have my thoughts formed on this one. I so get. You said that lightning strikes the thing and it explodes and scatters or it crashes and then explodes. Yes. Which one? Both. It happened. It happened. You know, sixty years ago. I, I don't. You know. I think that. I. I don't know that the whole thing exploded. I think it probably crashed. Parts of it went flying all around. So, but it. You know, there are probably larger pieces, and there are probably smaller pieces. But it's not like it was blown into oblivion, like a million little, you know, screws and bolts and nuts. Yeah. I. So this is the first time I've heard of the. Uh, like the fact that they were tracking it as a blip. I hadn't heard that before and that they knew it blew up because the, where the story picked up for me that the couple times I read it was just on the farm, Walter Dusty Hankson or some, whatever his name is, it reports it. So they were tracking it. Is that all we know about the tracking mm-hmm. sheet? From all, from what the, from what I found, the air force does report having tracked the uh the blip yes i won't call it a craft or call it whatever you want yeah the but beep i i had heard that they were tracking it so my my early onset for this is in the same way that we use aliens for people from outside of our country we use ufo as things that we do not they're un- unidentified flying objects so when that initial news article came out and they said ufo and then they pull it and say it's a water, oh, a weather balloon. That totally makes sense to me because you would pull that statement as soon as you were able to identify what it was, right? So that, and that was at the early onset of aliens and stuff like that. So they didn't know the repercussions of what saying it was a UFO would do. Um, no, 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 no. They said that they had in their possession a flying saucer. Yeah, but it was also a flying. That's what I said. Yeah, I saw that too. They said flying saucer, but they also use UFO in the the first article. There's like a publication with that and people freaked out. They're like UFO, it's an alien thing. But, and then they rescinded that the next day it was a weather balloon or something like that. And so, and I've also heard that, um, that the whole saucer thing was like, uh, kind of like a misnomer in how they, how they published that. Um, and by, by I heard that, that's just one take I saw on it, but, um, but I don't know. So that, that, that sequence right there makes sense to me. Like it goes from UFO slash saucer. It's the first day of publishing it. Then all of a sudden they receive the materials and boom, they know exactly what it is. And I saw that too, that they, they were saying that, um, that there, that a lot of people coming out that were part of the picture have said like, Oh, that's not actually what happened anymore we were kind of fudged into saying that that was that was all part of the sham so i don't know as far as all the stories i looked up cheek this one is the most credible to me and i'm coming from the position of dissent on this and i strongly don't believe that there's intelligent alien life on this earth um that came down here via saucers but out of all the claims i think this one is the most credible because there is a lot of wonky tonk to it and there is some credible change the rest of the stories i feel like are just to me seem like hearsay and maybe you'll enlighten me a little more but um i don't know what's your take on this well how do you mean well okay so we're gonna we're gonna dive into i think a good natural place to go here then is the other stories there are two other stories that i wanted to focus on number one being the story of betty and barney hill um, and then number two, the story of Travis Walton. I, before we go into those stories and talk about those stories, I just want to address, you know, the idea of why do like, do you, we can also talk about Bob Lazar a little bit here too. Do you believe that the people who are coming forward with these stories are doing it for, for what, for attention, fame, money, like a lot of them are really tortured, upset people who it seems 
just want to tell a story and don't want anything besides that. Now I agree. It could be an act. I know, you know, maybe it's all a part of the act is certainly a theory. I just, I don't love the idea of discrediting people based on, you know, the, the, the thing of hearsay, you know? Right. I just don't know you. It's all hearsay. Why would I believe you? Yeah. So I don't, I don't believe, I think like, I think there's like the, the peaks of reporters, the people at the top, the loudest ones, uh, the ones with the most details. I think those people experienced either some trauma or actually saw something they can't explain. And they came forward and, and their imaginations um, one quality that a lot of people share that see these UFOs and stuff is that they they test when they take psychological tests afterwards, they have a high proclivity for imagination um, and imagining things. So I think a lot of these people went through some kind of trauma slash and or saw something they couldn't explain and explained it with aliens because that was on their mind. And there's no coincidence that there's a high correlation between the people who believe in this stuff and then also believe like practice tarot cards and uh astrology and things like that and i i all right that 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 has not that has nothing to do with what we're talking about i don't i think it does but go eli, ahead eli why don't you tell us what you know about our good friend travis walton all right let me dig into it so I did some research i watched some videos about him but what i'm gonna be talking about is from his actual website uh, you can read along at travis-walton.com. So everything from here, um, I'm going to be reading excerpts from his book, Fire in the Sky. And everything in here is uh, run by Travis for accuracy. It's said that these provide um, the most accurate, complete, and up-to-date information related to his abduction. So here's the story of Travis Walton. He's a lumberjack. Uh, him and several others uh, of his colleagues are driving home from the forest uh, when they see a strange light. For reference. Yeah. For reference, we're in the 70s, right? Yeah. It's the 1975 70, Arizona. 74, 5, yeah. Yeah. So they're in Arizona. They're driving back uh, from the end of the day of work. They see a strange light in the sky and happen upon a flying saucer. Um, his writing is very descriptive, very dramatic. Uh, to give you a little taste, here's a line from it. The sound of the saws died, the final echoes absorbed into the deepening dusk. Uh, so they finish for the day, pack up, cram into a truck. There's like, I think, six or seven of them in there. Uh, they're driving down the road. They see the strange light. Next thing they see is a saucer hovering a few yards off the ground. So they stop and look. Uh, and Travis is the only one to get out and he approaches the thing. So here we have the sighting. Is this uh, is what you're reading from? Like, oh, okay, so you're pulling up strips. But is it, is it like a dramatic interpretation? Oh, like, totally. when, was it, when was this written? Like years after, do you think? Um, I could look up the... Will you look up the date while I read? But yeah, you it don't is, have to. It, it just, is. It feels like he he's uh, he's told this story so many times that he's been able to slowly build this dramatic scene. But keep going. Sorry. Um, I mean, we'll talk about it after. But yeah. my okay. But okay. While while JJ loves to discredit that and already make it sound dramatic, sorry, and sorry, like sorry. He's <laughs> pulling this from nonfiction. For reference, there are seven other witnesses that experienced this, and under um under police enforced polygraph tests all passed by saying they were telling the truth when recalling this story that he is also telling. Sorry. I won't all interrupt. Right, so I'll, I'll get to, we will get to all of this by the end and yeah. we'll, we'll have discussion on the credibility, but yes, I mean this whole, this whole time I'm remaining very skeptical. And one of the first things I noticed was how descriptive and, Painting a picture it was. Mm -hmm. it, it, it felt too descriptive. But hey, let me get into it. I'll let you all judge. Um, so here's an excerpt from the book. This is from the sighting. Travis, get away from there, Mike yelled to me. 
I shot a fleeting look at the pickup parked in the road, then turned my attention back to studying the incredible ship. Suddenly, I was startled by a powerful thunderous swell and the volume of the vibrations from the craft. I jumped at the sound, like that of a multitude of turbine generators starting up. I saw the saucer start wobbling on its axis with a quickening, quickening motion, in a pattern like the erratic spin of an unstabilized top. The same side continued to, to face me as the craft remained hovering at approximately the same height while it wobbled. I ducked into a crouch when a tremendously bright blue-green ray shot from the bottom of the craft. I saw and heard nothing. All I felt was the numbing force of a blow that felt like high-voltage electrocution. The intense bolt made a sharp cracking or popping sound. The stunning concussion of the foot-wide beam struck me full in the head and chest. My mind sank quickly into unfeeling blackness. I didn't even see what hit me, but from the instant I felt that paralyzing blow, I did not see, hear, or feel anything more. Best night of my life. It was at that moment that his buddies all drove away. <laughs> they just left him there. <laughs> They're like, I'm not, uh, this is too sketchy. I don't know what this is. I'm leaving. I'm out. Did they go to the police? <laughs> no, so they, so they drove down further to the road to like gather themselves and they're like, um, we got to go back. Some of us want to go back. Uh, the others like will light a fire for you and come back in an hour or something, uh, which I mean, fair enough. Like if I saw a flying saucer zap a friend, I'd be like, I don't want to touch that. Like, I don't even that's know in why the he realm went towards of, it in the first place. Right. Exactly. And yeah. he's the only one. So. Here we have the encounter, him face-to-face -face with aliens. So he wakes up on a table under a light, you know, like that generic story of tabletop aliens. Shadows um, leaning over you. Yeah. yeah. Um, I sp excerpt from the book. I sprang into a fighting stance with my legs spread wide to brace for the attack. I lashed out with the weapon, with the weapon at the advancing creatures. He, he like grabs just something off a table. Um, screaming desperate, hysterical threats. The creatures slowed but continued toward me, their hands outstretched. <laughs> Keep back, damn you! I shrieked menacingly. They halted. In a snarling crouch, I held the tube threateningly back behind my head. I felt hopelessly trapped. I was surrounded with my back to the wall. They stood still, mutely. They were a little under five feet in height. They had a basic humanoid form, two legs, two arms, hands with five digits each and a head with the normal human arrangements of features. But beyond the outline, any similarity to humans was terrifyingly absent. He kind of like rips into them, just calling them like weird and infantile looking. Uh, their thin bones were covered with white marshmallow looking flesh. They had on single piece coverall type suits made of soft suede-like material, orangish, orangish brown in color. I could see... I could not see any grain in the material, such as cloth, cloth has. In fact, their clothes did not appear even to have any seams. It was no, I saw no buttons, zippers, or snaps. They wore no belts. The loose billowy garments were gathered at the wrists and perhaps the ankles. They didn't have any kind of raised collar at the neck. They wore simple pinkish tan footwear. I could not make out the details of their shoes, but they had very small feet, about a size four by our measure. When they extended their hands toward me, I noticed they had no fingernails. Their hands were small, delicate, without hair. Their thin, round fingernails looked soft and unwrinkled. Their smooth skin was so pale that it looked chalky, like ivory. Their bald heads were disproportionately large for their puny bodies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like rips into yeah. the bald puny bodies. <laughs> Clearly didn't have their a membership at Planet bodies. Fitness. <laughs> Planet Fitness. Good one. <laughs> they had bulging oversized craniums, a small jaw structure, and an under underdeveloped appearance to their features that was almost infantile. Their thin lipped mouths were narrow. I saw them open. Lying close to their I know I never saw them open. Lying close to their heads on either side were tiny crinkled lobes of ears. Their miniature rounded nose had small oval nostrils. Only facial feature that didn't appear undeveloped were those incredible eyes, those glistening orbs and brown irises twice the size of those of a normal human's eyes. 
nearly an inch in diameter, the iris was so large that even parts of the pupils were hidden by the lids. Giving, giving the eyes a certain cat-like appearance, there was very little of the white part of the eye showing. They had no lashes and no eyebrows. So what do y'all think of that? That is a lot of description for pretty tra traumatic experience of witnessing aliens. Cheek, I wish we, mm -hmm. this is one of those moments where I wish you were in studio so we could rock, paper, scissor who gets to go first, because I'm, I'm anxious, but you go. <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything yet. I want Eli to finish the, the tale of Travis Walton, unless you really want to already try and disprove an innocent man's story. Well, he's, he's, <laughs> he's asking for our feedback. But it's unbelievable how... You are both on a uh, side already. <laughs> I, I, I love it. That's exactly how I wanted this to go. Um, all right, I'll continue. Okay, I think... Do you want me to finish or you want to go? Uh, actually, yeah, you finish. You finish. I like that. I, if JJ is okay with that, I like that. Okay, so to end up with... Uh, that was the encounter, and now we have the return. So just, just I, as I girded myself to spring at them, they abruptly turned and scurried from the room. They went out the open door, turned right, and disappeared. The anticlimax of the retreat was incredible. The, ex the extra adrenaline that had squirted out of into my bloodstream, <laughs> the Ew. adrenaline that squirted into my bloodstream left me trembling uncontrollably. I collapsed back against the bench, struggling to slow my racing heart. I gulped the heavy air in ragged gasps. There was a Thank you, Pat. There is a curving hallway about three feet wide outside the door. The ceiling of the hall gave off a faint, almost unnoticeable illumination. So he gets into the control room, like the center of the saucer, um, janks around with the controls, yeah. uh, then realizes, hey, I probably shouldn't be pressing random buttons. Um, so he stops that. And then uh, he sees a human standing in the doorway. Uh, so this human is tall and muscular. It wear, it's wearing a blue suit. Uh, again, no insignia or anything. Black band around the waist and boots. Um, so Travis tries talking to him, but gets no answer. Uh, the man takes him, takes Travis by the arm and brings him into a room where they wait for a minute. And then a door opens and he's taken out of the craft. And they're not outside. They're in a giant room. And this is kind of like an alien docking bay, I guess. He describes it as, I was in a huge room. The ceiling was sectioned into alternating rectangles of dark metal and those that gave off light. The ceiling itself curved down to form one of the larger rooms, larger walls in the room. The room was shaped like one quarter of a cylinder laid on its side. He sees a couple other ships. That's why I think it's like a docking bay or whatever. Um, all he describes is a couple other ships in the room. So it's like, uh, this whole time, his description is very minimalist. So take that how you will, but like he doesn't describe, you know, boxes and like equipment everywhere. It's all like when he woke up on the table, there was just a few instruments that were small in the control room. There's a control room. But he notices their clothes and their... Right, right, right. So like he, he's obviously paying very close attention to all this detail. Mm -hmm. Um uh, so he, uh, the room was shaped like a quarter cylinder laid on its side. He sees a couple other ships and then he's brought, he's, he's led by this human man into a, a new room. And in there, there are two men and a woman or a man and a woman. I, I don't know if I typed that right. Um, we're standing around at a table. Uh, they were also wearing velvety blue uniforms except they had no helmets. I guess the first guy had a helmet. Um, and these humans are very muscular, like, um, what, do you, what do you call them? Like the Vitruvian man and woman. Um, they have smooth skin, no blemishes, no moles, freckles, wrinkles, or scars. And striking good looks of the man I had first met. Uh, oh, the striking good looks of the man I had first met became more obvious on seeing them all together. They shared a family-like resemblance, although they were not identical. Silently, they took 
me by an arm and led me toward the table. I didn't know why I should cooperate with them. They wouldn't even tell me anything, but I was in no position to argue, so I went along at first. They lifted me easily onto the edge of the table, became wary, and started protesting. Wait a minute. Tell me what you're going to do. I began to resist them, but all three began pushing me gently backward down onto the table. I looked up at the ceiling, covered with panels of softly glowing white light with a faint blue cast. I saw that the woman suddenly had an object in her hand from out of nowhere. It looked like one of those clear, soft plastic oxygen masks, only there were no tubes connected to it. The only thing attached to it was a small black golf ball-sized sphere. She pressed the mask down on down over my mouth and nose, I started to reach up to pull it away. Before I could complete the motion, I rapidly became weak. Everything started turning gray. Then there was nothing at all but black oblivion. And from there, he wakes up on the pavement in the, in the street, like something like 30 miles from his original location, and sees a light and this saucer flies away and he goes to a phone booth calls someone to pick him up and he's been missing for five days and that is the story of the most renowned alien abduction story by travis walton wow (laughs) well done well done (laughs) self-applause i'm lost in thought um Chi, go ahead. So, for reference, I haven't visited that website. My information from the Travis Walton story came from listening to another podcast. The JRE, he interviewed him for a couple hours. I listened to Walton tell his story himself on the JRE. Um, there are quite a few differences to him telling it than this book. And I have a couple of theories there, certainly, um, that I would love to address after JJ points them out and tells me why they are fake. Well, I listened to part of my coverage was I read, I read this. I got halfway through and I was like, this is far too theatrical. Like this, yeah, you, this, you actually read his website. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I, I feel like my initial thought was he got someone, he hired someone to help him write this like more poetically. And it was almost like, I'm not even getting his at the accurate version of his story, you know? So then I went to, um, let me just pour a little more of this slurp juice, uh, from Mars. You want some? I'm good. All right. And, uh, so so then I went and watched parts of the Joe Rogan experience and he does, he adds some details in there. Um, and I listened to some other he leaves out a lot too. He leaves out a lot of that too. Um, he, I don't think he gave like the full review that of what he saw. I think he's given fuller accounts before and he looked really nervous on the Joe Rogan one. Um, he didn't make eye contact with Joe like one time the whole time. So I mean, that could be a thousand different things. I'm just saying, I think he didn't give the full color rundown to Joe. Um, But I've seen a a couple different accounts where the thing that disturbs me, the thing that throws me off the most is that he sees all these human type people who, by the way, are almost the way he describes them are almost exactly like um, the first man drawings from like early, like uh, 1960s cartoons, which a lot of people um, credit alien depictions too. So there's that, the, the two things people accredit the, the first time we ever see the gray alien is in war of the worlds. And it's not the main aliens, but it's actually their pets. Cause the main aliens look like big tentacle squid things. Uh, but their pets are these gray, um, big headed, no pupil, like all pupil eye things. And ever since then, almost every sighting has included those, that exact description, which is a little spooky to me or a little suspect to me, I should say. And then later on, there's this humanoid depiction. And a lot of people think that the humanoids come up a lot because first of all, in movies, they were cheaper to produce. So you didn't, they didn't have CGI back then. So it was easier just to have a human from Mars or whatever, uh, but they'd like give them an outfit. So that the, the way he describes 
those people, like the blonde, super good looking, all very similar looks. And he's describing them down to their skin and the fabric bunching and the cotton makeup of their clothes. And I just, to me, some of that, that's not only in his website account, but that's other places where he talks about it too. And to me, that's a little suspect when someone over describes something that kind of throws off a red flag to me. He, he over describes some areas and under describes other, Mm -hmm. like imagine if, you were mugged or something. I wouldn't even be able to recall the height. Like I don't, I never noticed people's eye color, all that. This is just like an average lumberjack dude. And he's got this heightened, uh, ability to recount all this information after getting like zapped by some electrical thing and left on the ground. And on top of that, he is going through like a traumatic, like fight or flight mode. And he's able to recount all this. Yeah. Immediate red flag to me. Keep in mm-hmm. keep keep in mind a lot of his recall is from hypnotherapy. It is not immediately he wakes up, goes home, and writes in his right. journal what happened. Given, yeah. It's that he was uh, after the experience very mentally unstable and you know, wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't a normal person. He couldn't act like a normal person after what had happened. And then went through a lot of hypnotherapy sessions to be able to recall accurately what had happened. And as an, a, a way to process what happened so that he could become somewhat of a normal person again, which is why I think JJ, you touched on him being, you know, couldn't make eye contact, had a lot of like, you know, nervous. I, I imagine that's any abductee, any abductees experience, like, you know, likeness after the experience, you know, like, I feel like they're probably a little schizos if, if it is real, even if it's not real, you know? Well, yeah, either way, I feel like the way they are treated after coming out, that was something I was going to ask you, Chi, because I, you, you've you studied this topic the most. And so what is psychologically, what is someone going through from the minute, not even counting whether or not the experience happened from, but from the minute they become public with it, like what's that life like? I assume, I mean, I, I didn't dive into a lot of the psychological effects of the abductions, but, but imagine the, I think being it's that a person. lot like, it's a lot like um, being abused by somebody, you know, it's a lot like you, I feel like they feature a lot of the same uh, experiences of somebody who's been abused either sexually or physically. You know, I think the brain wants to block out a lot of awfulness that probably happened. Just like in the cases of people who have been sexually abused by you know, either strangers or family members, they can't quite recall what has happened and they have to go through this hypnotherapy thing. They're on edge, they're untrustworthy. And that, that I think is the type of person that comes out of this experience and they have been abused. It's not like they are acting like somebody who's been abused. They have been, they've been abducted against their, you know, against their own will. They've been taken aboard who knows where, who knows what ship. And they've been poked and prodded and booped and duped. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I hesitate to compare it to, go ahead, Cheek. Sorry. Were you done? Are you? Um, yeah, I hesitate to compare it to sexual assault just because I don't believe in alien sightings. Uh, <laughs> but that could be a matter of perspective because if alien sightings are real, these things are actually happening, then yeah, being discredited. I mean, ima- imagine that, like imagine getting abducted. So if this is real, we, we go in, you get abducted, you're physically there. This is a life altering event in its own. And then you come back and you literally can't tell it to anyone without them saying you're crazy. And you need to, like, if that happened to me, I would need to tell someone. And I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but if someone came to me and said they saw a ghost, I'd be like, okay, like I might not full on believe them, but I'd be like, all right, that makes sense. But if someone comes to me and says in, in, in both cases are just surefire, I saw 
an alien or I saw a ghost. If someone comes to me, ghost, I say, okay, maybe I don't really believe you, but I don't think you're crazy. If they say alien, I'm my opinion might change about that person. Like cheek, if you started coming to this podcast <laughs> every day and your eyes were like this <laughs> and you're just like, you lost your personality. Like I know, I know what I saw. I would, <laughs> we, we would start making your screen smaller and smaller and you'd eventually not be on this podcast anymore. I, I wouldn't believe you. I think you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but but if you're going from the perspective of someone if you did actually go through this and live through this and you are on the other side of that and you're telling people over and over again and it gets public and you st- you have to put your foot down then i feel like the opposition from literally everybody else in your life even family members would be so strong that you then have to start manifesting smaller details to try to make it sound more believable even if you're not lying so like if you if you told me I was lying for years and years, all of a sudden I'd be like, well, I think they they had like a denim blue fabric on. Um, maybe it was overalls. And yeah, they definitely had cowboy boots and uh, they had pink hair and they spoke with a with a lisp and they all looked kind of like humans, but bald, um, but bald with pink hair. And you'd, you'd have to come up with these like I think I could see how in this situation you'd have to come up with like specific details to to help yourself prove because i just i'm trying to rationalize because i just don't buy that this guy saw all this shit right there and hypnotherapy is known for bringing in um it's like only a little bit better than dreams in some cases like some people have such imaginations that it combines real life with like kind of made up life so if he's juxtaposing this experience he had with the what do you call it? Pop culture of aliens. Uh, then I could see how hypnotherapy kind of brings out these familiar figures. Um, let, let, let me say something on this. Um, cause th- this relates to my particular perspective on this. And that's that, uh, I don't, I'm not much of, of a participant of alien conspiracies, like think that they're fun to listen to and watch like ancient aliens and all that. But I don't think more on them because, I don't want to. I, I don't want to say this person's cuckoo. I don't believe them because, mm-hmm. like, if they are true, like, I don't want to discredit them. Whatever, but like, I'm not also gonna believe in them and like take everything for granted. I'm gonna be skeptical, um, and it's tricky because it means that you have to do a lot of research. But there is there's more to Travis Walton's story, mm. so. Behind the scenes, this is from Michael Shermer. He has an article. Uh, he's a, I guess, a, a self-proclaimed skeptic, uh, founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine and host of the Science Salon podcast. Okay. Um, so he brings some important information into the scene. Um, before the abduction... Walton and his co-workers were about to miss a deadline uh, to finish the logging job, which would have docked 10% of their contract unless an act of God prevented completion. And then, coincidentally, two weeks before his abduction, uh, when the logging deadline was getting close, NBC aired their primetime UFO incident about uh, the 1961 case of Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. Well, so that is all. Keep that in mind. And then, in terms of the polygraph, I I don't think polygraphs are trustworthy. But for what it's worth, um, it says although for Walton the record, passed a polygraph test. For the record, yeah. if if polygraph tests aren't trustworthy why does the government use them all the time to determine things i don't like i don't know i'm just like well they're they're not admissible in a court of law that's a good question i don't know why they do that they should have a better uh or why does the media why does the media decide to show it like they use polygraphs all the time i don't know i'm not i'm not criticizing you i'm just like asking that freely like why is that a thing then right people act like it's like well because it's more accurate i took a polygraph yeah 
Well, it's more accurate than um, than just listening to someone and judging yourself. I yeah. think that's the biggest thing about it. So it's the next closest to like actual factual evidence that we can get. Um, I don't know enough about it, but I know that they can be wrong a percentage of the time mm-hmm. and that they can be cheated. So Walton, Walton passed his polygraph test arranged by a UFO organization. Hmm. Um, but, uh, this guy, Philip Kloss, K-L-A-S-S, um, said that Walton dictated to the examiner what questions would be asked. Further investigation led him to an earlier unpublished polygraph test of Walton, um, conducted by Jack McCarthy, one of the top polygraph examiners in Arizona. McCarthy gave Class, his assessment of Walton's story that it was gross deception, and he also said that Walton employed polygraph countermeasures such as holding his breath. Um, so I was skeptical throughout this whole thing. I didn't want to make a judgment, but I would say that the evidence stacks up against him. Uh, you know, there is there is a reason for him to and his coworkers to fake this. And I mean, he profited off of it. He made a book, he made a movie, he was successful. Yeah. I think it's a lot like the people who go on The Bachelor because at first they go on because they're like, you might have a different take since you started to listen to this uh, that podcast. But um, I, I feel like a lot of people that go on The Bachelor go on being like, all right, whatever, I'm not going to fall in love, but I'll get Instagram followers and I'll be fine getting out of it. And then some of them end up actually falling in love and actually getting caught up in like the terrible parts of the show and getting torn up and thrown and spit out. And I kind of feel like that's how some, not all, alien um, people end up like seeing like how some alien people end up getting treated there. At first, they're like, all right, I'm going to come out. It'll be fun. I'll get I'll make some money off the books and stuff like that. They don't realize all the downsides to it. And all of a sudden, once they're caught up in the rodeo of the whole thing, then they have people doubting them all the time. Hate mail coming in, people visiting their houses and things like that. And I think that's where like that's like no matter how you go, you go into it, you come out of it kind of harrowed and delusional a little bit because I, I think the biggest harrowing thing about it is basing your life off of if it is a lie mm-hmm. which i mean is you constantly have to convince yourself just to get up for another day that mm-hmm. like this is ha- what happened like make sure you don't mess the story up get it straight yada 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 and people Keep are going to criticize you and if it is a lie you know that they're right and that you deserve it or whatever and you just continue this but i i, I don't believe in this i haven't heard any convincing alien stories except for Bob Lazar like I am convinced that aliens have visited earth because of his story I know I mean at this point you're a fool if you don't think aliens exist yeah but I was skeptical if they'd visit earth and tell his story and he's the only case where I've I've actually like felt moved okay. on the position can I yeah. can I say this I, can I say this though so let's pull something yeah. from Bob Lazar's story which was told almost 20 years post Travis Walton's story. His description of the original aliens of a little under five foot, the big eyes, very much match up with Bob Lazar's story too. No, they don't because he talks about humanoid people being in the ship that are look like humans uh, and there's nothing about them being shorter. The, the gray, the, he, there's two people on the ship that Walton talks about. It's the short gray people and then the human-like people. And the way Bob Lazar described the spaceships of that he worked on was they were like th- for a three-fourths man. And that wouldn't have worked in the setting that he was talking about. He, he remembers everything. And he does not talk about having to crouch or crawl to get through doors or anything like that. Um, and I think that would be a pretty key... Eli said, Eli said that the little men were about five foot in height. And any spaceship that Bob Lazar walks into, it's probably going to be, okay, somebody who's 5'10", 5'11", can get into that spaceship. 
like Bob talks about, I don't have a lot of room to maneuver, but there is, I can't, I could stand up in there. And that's exactly the height of the little person that Eli was talking about. Not to mention that's the great people. Yes. And not to mention, I will draw in the humanoid alien in a later connection, but I'm going to leave that there for now. But that description of right. the size too. matches up Bob's and Travis's story, does it not? Eli? No. Uh, go ahead, E. Sorry. Um, well, Travis's description of the aliens did sound credible. Like, I think if the aliens did look like something that he, he got it, um, he, he did say that they were, they were small and childlike and weak. And that when he was in the aircraft, like the, the hallways were narrow and like three feet wide. Uh, but the, he didn't say anything about the height. He said the height was fine. What happened to the humanoid thing? Was that not a, th- where did he see those ones? He just said like, there are two different types. Like there were the aliens and then there were humans. There were uh-huh. humans in there essentially, but they were like humans that didn't talk and sexy, muscular, Vitruvian people. So, so in favor of the Bob Lazar story, could it have been that Bob Lazar was working on a ship that the gray people flew and then the gray people took him to a larger ship where the humanoids were? Is that more of a plausible story? Oh, what, wait, what was that? Well, Bob Lazar. I'm trying to imagine how spatially the humanoids and these small gray people share a space. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, that was also an iffy part that drew red flags for me. But I, all I remember is Bob Lazar said that he caught a glimpse of what looked like a small alien, but didn't want to say that he saw an alien because it was like yeah, too small I, of a fraction of a second. But I agree with he did say says. that. They that they referred to the aliens as the kids, the kids. But didn't he go? So there is a connection there. I'm yeah. not denying that. Didn't he go into a ship, or am I wrong about that? Mm, he said he worked on the ships. Yeah. I think and he, I think he but I, thought, I think he spatially like sized it out for what. I don't think he was in one. I think he spatially described uh, what he imagined the space the size would be. Okay. Well, I guess my final thought would be if. The way I remember is that he spatially sized out the ship to be for a three-fifths or three-fourths person. But the way what's-his-name is mustache guy um, is that he says there's full-size people and small people on the ship. So I'm just confused about that. And I think that's my the thing that I sit on most about all these stories is that they're inconsistent. But, um, but yeah, unless Cheek, you have a follow-up to that, I want to move on. I think we're I think we're splitting hens and hairs here. I don't I don't want to sit on that anymore. Um, I'm calling for a PP break. Thanks for tuning in for the first half of our conversation about aliens and their existence, especially here on Earth, um, almost exclusively of them here on Earth. If you want to hear more, you got to wait till Thursday or if it's way later, there's a second part to this episode. So just uh, go back, tune in, educate yourself. Uh, There's no one more creative or smart than these three bozos here on this podcast. So I think it's important that you learn the lessons that we have to preach. Uh, Thanks for listening. Have a nice day. Bye.